You've reached The Intuitor, where we use celebrity scandal as a vehicle for deep inner work. Join me, Onami, for all the taboo teachings, spiritual secrets, and celebrity gossip you can't help but love. The sizzle is so real, only on The Intuitor. The sizzle is going to be real today because somebody, aka me, was doing a deep dive on Madonna this morning because some new news just leaked out. And if you guys don't know, if you guys haven't been up to speed on the tea, Madonna has been in the hospital because they said that she was in sepsis. Now, Madonna is one cool bird. I actually don't know. Oh, actually, I was looking at her human design chart the other day. Um, I wonder if I still have it up on my computer. If so, we'll pull it up and check it out. But Madonna was in the hospital, and they said it was because of sepsis that she had like a bacterial infection and as a result had to go to the hospital. But it was just revealed today that the reason why she was in the hospital was because she had been administered a dose of Narcan after being found unresponsive in her hotel room. Now, if y'all don't know what Narcan is, Narcan is naloxone. I get naloxone and naltrexone confused because I've had not personal experience, but I've rehabbed some people in my life unsuccessfully. Uh, and so naloxone is Narcan and naltrexone is Vivitrol. So what naloxone does is that if you have opiates in your system and somebody administers a dose of Narcan to you, what it does is it pushes all of the opiates out of your system. And this is a really bad day for somebody that's it. It's not very fun to wake up with all the opiates pushed out of your system. Instant withdrawal, very uncomfortable, but yes, it does save your life. And something that I really love, um, I was in Kingston, New York a while ago, and I love to see that like in a lot of the bathrooms and stuff, they had, a, they had a, a Narcan like near the bathrooms. And that stuff really does save lives. Like, and I think that I, a big part of my journey has been helping people to release, the, the biggest problem with opiates is that like there's so much shame around it, but there didn't used to be. The government seriously created like the junkie archetype because, and it was, uh, what's the word, xenophobic maybe? When it's specifically racist against Asians, what's the word for that? Um, but they did that to discourage the opium dens that had popped up in San Francisco as in the wake of the Vietnam War. But there's so much shame around heroin usage when actually like for some people, that's just their medicine and that's what we're gonna be talking about today. Uh, there's so much shame around it, but shame is like the biggest trigger for use. And that specific type of addiction, opiates, it's also the same place where alcohol addictions come from, it's second chakra. So shame is the trigger for the use in the first place. It's addictions of numbing. Addictions of numbing are used to alleviate shame, shame that you feel, deep emotional pain that you feel. People always say, oh, I don't know how anybody just wakes up and sticks a needle in their arm. That's not how it works. Congratulations. You do not know what it's like to be in chronic emotional pain. It's like, oh, I know it. No, you don't fucking know what it's like. And alcohol is so socially acceptable. 
we buy people a drink at big events in their life we pat them on the back and we hand them a drink but it's doing the the exact same thing and the opiate addiction or the alcohol addiction is like a way of dying while being alive like let's say that you really don't want to live anymore but you don't want to hurt your friends and your family by not being there like you would be happy piecing out of this life but you have shame you feel like you've made such a mess of things already like you don't want to hurt people even more so what's a way that like you can be gone while still being here oh you can do it drunk oh you can do it on opiates and and it's a way of, of being there for your family while being able to be in your own private world and so many people have this experience and it's it's a it's a painkiller it's a painkiller it's a way of alleviating pain but not all pain is physical and I've lost two really close friends because of one of them was my fiance um, I lost my fiance and then about a year and a half after that my best friend ended her life and she was in chronic back pain and couldn't get access to the painkillers that she needed because of the opioid epidemic and also because she had the stigma around it where she was like you know I can't I can't be on something like this for life but she needed it because it was her back pain that ended up ending her life and honestly like I wouldn't have wished that existence on anybody she was in so much pain for the last two years of her life and in it alone you know she didn't have parents that could take care of her she didn't have people she was working to spend all her money to go to specialists and it was really really hard on her and the thing that just killed me about it is that what they put on her obit her and i were like each other's seat we didn't share a friend circle we were just and that's how my relationships are there's like i don't roll with the pack i'm like that you you and me i'm always someone's like secret friend and i'm their secret friend and we have like really deep secret relationships um but it killed me because on her obit they just said her she lost a long battle with mental illness and it was like oh fuck you you know she wasn't mentally ill she had chronic back pain you morons you know she couldn't sleep in a bed every day it took her like a three-hour ritual of, of bathing and alcohol and edibles and everything but what actually heals pain because she couldn't get her hands on it this was just how she could get through like any day period and if there hadn't been so much of a stigma around that she would have probably still had her life and then my fiance when we were dating I just didn't know what I know now I was like oh like that's bad we got to get you clean we can't move forward with our life you can't do anything until you're clean we've got to and now my approach is totally different and I've worked with a lot of addicts with very positive results helping people turn corners in addictions without ever trying to get them to turn a corner in addiction it's just like look like if this is what works for you if this is your get down then like let's find a way to take out all the the crap out of it that you don't like like for example feeling shame about this product feeling shame about just because you use this doesn't make you a junkie but like we don't need to go and do junkie behaviors let's find a way where we can support this habit without having to resort to things that embarrass you or ruin your relationships and let's take out like let's stop making such a big deal about it they drink you do this that's just how you do it some days that's just how you do it some days you're in a lot of emotional pain you're not going to be in emotional pain forever but when you're in a lot of emotional pain like that's just how you do it some days 
and man I wish I had known that when I was dating my partner because I was telling him all the time like you can be honest with me you can tell me just tell me what's all accepted no matter what it is while all the while having this attitude of like that's so bad though but we're in agreement that it's so bad though right no we were not in agreement that it was so bad and I was constantly shaming him and creating an environment where he couldn't be his flawed self. I said, you can be yourself around me as long as it's truthful, as long as it's not using, as long as it's you know following all the ways that I'm controlling you. It's totally fine. And it's like when people post this fucking crap on your comments and be like, I'm just genuinely curious. Like what would make you the kind of person that does this? I'm just genuinely curious. And it's like, you are such a fucking narc. You are such a fucking narc. And narc means narcotics officer, does not mean narcissist. Well, you fucking narc, you're telling me it's cool with your words, but your behavior is telling me it's not cool. And you're pushing it like I can't tell that you got a big fucking cop badge written all over you, that we are not on the same side in this situation. And if I had not been so hell-bent on forcing this guy into sobriety, he would probably still be alive, but I just didn't know at the time. I had codependency. I didn't know what that was. All of, our, all of our friends and family were like, yes, go you. Keep him on a short lease. leash. Take him to rehab over and over again. Put your entire life on hold because you don't have actual problems. Focus on him. Rehab it. Bring him to the light. And the people that weren't saying that to me, I was like, get away from me. Like, you don't know what love is. But he didn't ask for that from me. And he died because he was on naltrexone. And naltrexone, um, the brand that he was on was something called Vivitrol. And he was going to a pretty like experimental rehab at the time called Parallax. And what Parallax philosophy was, and you know, it's like, a, it's not designed for the person that's actually using. You think it is, but it's not. What their strategy is, is like, okay, we just need to get the opiates out of your system, which I think is like for 14 days. So for 14 days, they pump you up on every non-opiate pill, pill that you can find. Ritalin, Trazodone, Ambien, anything to just knock you out and sedate you for long enough to get these things, to get the opiates out of your system. Because naloxone and naltrexone work the same way, where if you put it into a body that has opiates in it, it's going to create like a really uncomfortable experience. And some people go through like medicated withdrawal, where they put you in a coma and let you go through the withdrawal while you're in a coma but it's using all it's all using the same thing and the interesting thing is that the naloxone also comes from the poppy plant as well so they're both coming from the same place so I guarantee you whoever is cultivating the naloxone is also whoever is cultivating the cure is also cultivating the poison without a doubt there are always three factors to every single story and you're told in the majority of the world that there's like the drugs and there's the user there's the sellers and they're the buyers and it's this war between like how do we keep the sellers away from the buyers and what they don't realize is the market what you're not paying attention to is the market and the market is run by people in control the government for a long time the cartels and the government have been like this for a very very long time we're talking like since the 70s and they they have a purpose for that so there's always the third force and the third force is where the sellers are profiting the buyers are profiting but what nobody wants to look at you know, if you want to know what the red side of politics and what the blue side of politics agree on, what are they both pushing? Vaccinations? Okay, there you go. 
that's what the fucking there's your fucking agenda for you if you always want to know the real get down look at what the two opposing parties both agree on if it seems like it's seller versus buyer what do they both agree on that we need this market and that's where the real power always lies always in the third voice which is represented at the top of the triangle in the enneagram as in my copy because i'm so here for this conversation today no one's allowed to join my live today but at the end of this month i'm going to have a very special guest on this podcast and we are going to talk about some stuff that you wouldn't hear anywhere anywhere else this is going to be some high level sex magic conversation i'm so excited to bring that to you anyways so he was on so they were like you know let's just get you off of the heroin and then we'll give you this thing called naltrexone vivitrol and vivitrol is like a shot that you get in your butt which makes it so that you can't use you can't use at all and it's like you know it seems like wow this miracle thing they just won't be able to use but now the addict is going through the same emotional pains and they take all the pills away from you you have no more pills you're done and it's an abstinence program so you can't you can't hit up the next best thing which is alcohol which is numbing the same pain but it just doesn't work as well or as fast or as clean and once you've had the other stuff, it's, you know, some people should just be on this for life. And that's what Madonna's get down is. We'll definitely talk about this. So the pain of withdrawal and the shame and guilt keeps, keeps me from going back. For me, one of the main thing that keeps me from going back to the alcohol is like the guilt. Now that I know what it's like to wake up and, and to wake up sober over and over and over again, if I even had one drink, I wouldn't have that same pride because I wouldn't be able to really say it's been six years since I've had a drink. And that pride is like the total opposite of shame for me. A lot of the things that were causing me shame in my life, my behaviors, my habits, my places in life where I was lacking, like if I can look at those things and accept that I feel shame about them and then work very hard to, to do the opposite in that area. If you want self-esteem, you do esteemable things, but you have to be able to assess the places in your life that are making you not proud of yourself and bring them into integrity. Sometimes that looks like honoring what it is that you need and sometimes it looks like just changing your behavior it's always going to be a dance but the thing about shame is that the first rule of shame is that you don't you're not allowed to talk about shame and so this is why for addicts they can't talk about what it's like to be them about the joys of getting high with anybody except for somebody that's like also an addict and when you got two addicts talking together you guys are going to become fucking used buddies so fast it's really hard to talk about how much we love this thing and how much fun it is and then be like oh no no we're not going to do it like you guys know how this goes you've had bestie before like you know how this goes if there were more places where we could have shameless conversations without an agenda you do this i do that cool no shame here which is really what i've been i even started like a, a project to try and help uh to try and help there be more shameless conversations about being addicted to whatever you're addicted to because you can't shame your way into sobriety you can't sit around saying oh my god i'm such a bad person for drinking and think that that's going to get you sober it's not you can't shame your way into sobriety and if you do take that path you're going to be the type of person that has to go to a meeting every single day because they're so afraid of who they'll be if they don't go spend an hour with a bunch of chain smoking adderall popping caffeined out fucking ex-addicts like and I'm not talking shit on 12-step programs. I know that that works for a lot of people. But for the people that it works for, they can go find a meeting, meeting any place. 
But for people that that doesn't work for, and there are a hell of a lot of people that that doesn't work for, we need to be able to have open conversations that there are other ways to get sober without doing that, that that's not the only way to sobriety, that the 12-step path is not the only path. And I know the majority of people I know that are sober, long time sober, no relapses and having a really good experience are people that have not gone through the program. Although I do know a lot of people that have gone through the program and, uh, and, and very much enjoy that and that's like a big community and everything for them. I feel like people that need, need the community and that are just like community type people for whom stopping drinking or opiates or anything like that, the biggest you know, pain they would feel from that is the loss of their social life, that that is really good because it does provide a social life. But for the drink, for the people that like to drink alone, trip alone, lone wolves, then uh, going to 12-step meetings is like, what, and be around all these people? Like, yikes. So here to, here to talk about another way of doing, another way of doing that because you just can't shame your way into sobriety. Anyways, they take all the pills away from the addict and then they give them a shot in their butt, which makes it so you just physically cannot use for 30 days. Like it would take five times the least, the lethal dose to be able to feel the effects of the opiate through that. So now all their emotional pain and everything is coming up and they know what fixes it, but they cannot use it. They know what fixes it, but they cannot use it. And so they're like internally clawing at the wall. And I saw what that did to him and you guys like, I have seen I have seen real ass depression in my life like I've seen cr depression that would make your fucking hair curl like I have seen the fucking saddest shit that you can imagine lived with the saddest shit that you can even imagine like like multiple surgeries trying to fix something that could have been resolved if the person hadn't been too depressed to brush their teeth open heart surgery trying to figure out where an infection is coming from when actually after two years of open heart surgeries and hip replacement and femur loss, finding out that this infection is staph coming from the mouth because the person just couldn't brush their teeth. They were too sad to brush their teeth. So I'm no stranger to this, but man, watching what he was going through in the last months of his life, I had a really different experience than the rest of his family because I was there with him during that time. And I was like, this is no lie. This is, I've known this guy for 10 years. I've known this guy for 10 years and I've never seen him like this before. Curled up in the corner of the house with his, shaved his head because he was just going so crazy. He couldn't like handle his hair anymore for days not talking, not eating, not sleeping, just like curled up like a baby, bone, skin and bones in the corner of our house, miserable. And knowing the whole time what could get him out of his pain and not being able to do it. And so he had tried to come off. So he was like, I'm just not going to do this anymore because I know like, I know that I'm ready to come off of the Vivitrol. And I was like, you know, it's only been two months. You're supposed to be on it for six months. And he was like, no. And I told him, I was like, well, look, like if you die, I'm not even going to wonder if it was a suicide or not, because you know what you're doing. You know this dance that you're doing with opiates. I'm not even going to wonder. I'm just going to assume that it was you offing yourself. And, you know, looking back on it now, I'm like, I'm the narc, right? Like, but I just didn't know anything about addiction except for that, like, addiction was bad. I, like, didn't know anything about 
that particular, I didn't know anything. And it was really my experience with him that taught me everything that I know about it now, which is why like I'll never give, I don't care how long I've been sober for, like if someone, if you want a drink, drink. If you want a drug, drug. Like I am not here to yuck your yum because you just can't quit until your life doesn't suck anymore. And it can be hard to get your life to like an unsucky place when you're addicted to something, but like you'll get there eventually and no one can do it for you. And in the meantime, fucking enjoy it. You're not gonna do it for your whole fucking life, you know? You already feel bad about it. Everyone you know makes you feel bad about it. If you're gonna meet me, I wanna be at least one person that doesn't make you feel bad about it. Fucking do it, party, have the best stories of your life. This is what you'll write books about later. If you can, if you can make it through this without killing, you'll figure it out you'll figure it out and maybe that's just how you do it you know maybe this is just your drug for life so if this is just your drug for life like how can you do it without feeling bad about it and without it leading to you like having to live on the street or trick or something for it so i i even just watched an art an interview that came up on here the other day of a guy interviewing somebody in in kingston or not kingston but it's some you know the biggest open-air drug market in the u.s and this guy's like to, you know interviewing the lady about what it's like to be a heroin addict and she's like on the verge of tears so many times and the guy like is so condescending in the interview like do you know what you're doing with your life oh you have kids where are they oh you have family where are they and it's like all you're hearing is that same narrative like this is so bad this is so bad this is so bad like we need to we need to have different conversations about this because all that's doing is making people use more all it's doing and you know people call heroin the, dr the hug that your mom never gave you and the rates of the biggest hug that a mom can give their child is breastfeeding and those early years of life it's not about the food it's not about the food it's about the closeness and people say yeah but if you give your kid a bottle anyone can feed them that's the fucking problem baby that's the fucking problem is they're not getting that bond with their mom they're not getting that bond with their mom they're not able to be to feel safe no matter what to be able to have on-demand love no matter what your mom's mad at you pull up her shirt anyway you can make it right it's so nice to have that super strong bond with the child because it leads to an eternal sense of security and an eternal sense of safety and if you guys watch my video you know that i just had like the biggest weaning fail ever yesterday but so far so good there's the longest wiley has gone without weaning and uh the short answer is that i sharpied my nipples black and told my daughter that they're just like not working and she's so horrified by the way that they look that she wasn't touching it but my son was curious and freaking pulled my shirt down in the middle of a sunday brunch restaurant yesterday and flashed my fucking black sharpie nipples to the whole entire fucking restaurant and it looks like they look like i would show you guys right now you know that i would but it looks so it looks like i have some type of terrible you know galloping tit rot or some kind of like crazy infection on the whole restaurant so I, what am i gonna do i can't go and tell the people in the restaurant oh you know i've been on this journey for a really it doesn't like it doesn't it doesn't work like that but whatever if I'm, if I'm getting her off the boob that's all that matters to me but it's so it really is setting them up for success for life and so i really think that there's a connection between 
that lack of, of close maternal connection that comes from breastfeeding. Because when you don't have to breastfeed your kid, you don't have to be around your kid. So just more things come up. It's like, if I don't have to feed them, when you breastfeed, you're forced to be around your kid for those first two, three years of life. You're forced to be around them. You can't leave for more than two hours to go anywhere. And if you can ride this wave, you'll learn how to make so much money off a very small amount of time, which is such a useful asset. But if you offload the breastfeeding, then like it's so easy to just, then it's daycare, then it's going to work, then it's this, you know, then it's, then it becomes like the whole thing. And the kid doesn't have, is just not with their mom that much. I understand that a lot of parents have to go to work and stuff, and this is not supposed to make anyone feel any kind of way retrospectively. But for the people that are, have not had children yet, you know, consider this now. You can do a lot at nap time when you're breastfeeding, but like, if you know you wanna have kids one day, really ask yourself like, what kind of mom do I wanna be? Is breastfeeding a part of that? And how can I, how can I create a business now? It doesn't have to be successful now, but how can I create something that, that I can build on my phone while breastfeeding that kid or that where I could move anywhere I wanted? These are all things to take into consideration now for sure. So he, yeah, he had told me that he was gonna come off of it, but then he ended up like not really telling me that it happened. And I came home from work and I found him dead. And the reason why he OD'd was because he assumed that the naltrexone was out of his system and it just wasn't. And so already his tolerance was super low and he was doing a speedball. His tolerance was super low. He had naltrexone in his system and was, was trying to use on top of it. And so, and it was after the 30 day window, but there was still some residual in there. So he, you know, over overshot himself and that was really hard but it's very much my mission now to like bring awareness to so many people that love someone that's trapped in like an opiate addiction right now doesn't realize that their obsession with that person's sobriety is a total red flag for their own codependency and having this mindset or idea that like I cannot go on with my life until they change theirs is not helping them it's not loving them it's not you know live your own life if you're living your own life you won't say yes or no to unreasonable requests as a result of their addiction, you know, you won't be like, yeah, you can live with me when I don't want you to live with me because you're a junkie. Be like, I love you. These are my boundaries. Figure it out. You're not going to like fucking buy them tons of massages like their mom did when they're in withdrawal because you're like, look, massages aren't really going to help you in withdrawal. Like this is like, fuck, no, go fuck yourself. Like your addiction is not, is, is not actually my problem, but I love you and I support you. I love you and I support you, but you're gonna have to figure this out on your own because you can't ever help anybody in a place of overextension on your own part. It just leads to resentment. Relapse is a part of recovery, which to say it is one thing, but to actually understand it is such a different thing because if you really understood that relapse is a part of recovery, you wouldn't see relapse as being backward motion. You wouldn't see that, oh fuck, they relapsed. Oh fuck, you relapsed, you're getting better. And really helping that person understand that like just because you relapsed doesn't mean, it, just because you relapsed on a weekend doesn't mean it has to be a three month bender. 
you don't have to start counting from day one again like it doesn't have to be like that you can just it's still progress you're figuring it out you're figuring it out but it doesn't have to be like oh i already fucked up so let me just completely fuck everything up to be able i call it the relapse of luxury baby go sit in the relapse of luxury for a little minute it's in the relapse of luxury for a little bit. You weren't born with a silver spoon in your mouth, honey, but you don't need to die with one in your hand. It's going to be okay. We call it the Ivy League, baby. Get on that Ivy League. So proud of you. Brown University. So proud of you. <laughs> Even though you can't really get brown anymore. Um, but, but I really having somebody around you that and you'll see this a lot in like addict relationships is like someone will make friends with somebody who's like much more addicted than they are because it makes them feel so good about themselves like oh well at least I'm not like you and people with codependency do this all the time by picking up people that are unavailable their the bottom line is that they're unavailable they're addicted to things that make them not available to be in like a present and loving relationship but we pick up these people because we say like oh when I'm with somebody that's like a raging heroin addict I don't feel like I have problems and I get high off of that because I don't actually have to look myself in the mirror and be like bitch you're fucked up you got some fucked up fucking thing your shit's fucked up right now why can't you stay single for more than one week it's not because you're like so desirable you know I keep dating like ridiculous guys I'm talking about myself here you know but um it's really tempting to pick up people that are like need your help and then be like, why does everybody need my help they don't they don't why are people stealing from me nobody can ever take anything that you're not offering to them you're cool with that you're saying go ahead we'll put me last you need to learn how to say me first i literally had to change all of my passwords on everything after he and i broke up the first time then we got back together and then he died um to, I had to change all of my passwords to me first because I was like, I got to get this in my head. I've been waiting for fucking 25 years for someone to put me first. No one's ever going to put me first. I've rehabbed every single boyfriend. Every single boyfriend leaves me. You changed my life. Best girlfriend I ever had. Now I have this. Now I have that. Yeah, I don't have anything. I don't have anything. Because when you guys leave, you take everything. But they, don't, they never took anything that I wasn't giving. I had to learn how to put myself first. I asked myself after he died, like, everywhere I go, I'm the best employee. Everywhere. And I was a hardcore alcoholic. Like, I mean, fucking hardcore. I had seizures when I stopped drinking for the first time. Seizures. They wanted to, I went to Brian's rehab nurse and say, okay, you know, it worked. I finally stopped drinking. I said, I don't know what's happening. You know, my arm doesn't stop shaking and I just like lose big chunks out of the day. She's like, we need to put you in inpatient because alcohol withdrawal can actually kill you. And I was like, what? Like... I gotta go to work like I can't be an in me in inpatient rehab he's the junkie what are you talking about I just did not see alcohol as like being an actual addiction at all at that time I didn't want to accept that I was the one that had problems but so much of that could have been avoided if I had just like focused on myself and I had asked myself like if I gave myself one quarter of the attention that I give any job that I've ever had any boyfriend that's ever crossed my path Anyone that's ever crossed my path gets 100% of my attention. If I gave myself even 25% of that, anything I did would be a success. And I committed to giving myself to giving myself that. And it was really hard, but here we are. So, but some people in this, so now we're going to bring it to Madonna. Let's talk about Madonna. Sober for 2.5 years. Good job. 
if any of you guys are sober curious it's one thing that i always break for it's one thing that i always break for it's like my soft spot for anyone struggling with an addiction like i break for breakups and i break for addictions because i'm like yo the thing that kept me from getting sober for the longest time was a lack of cool people being like, I'm cool and I don't do anything. I don't smoke weed. I don't do anything. I don't trip on the weekends. I don't take mushrooms. I don't take LSD. I don't drink alcohol. I've been getting fucked up on coffee though. Seven years. Great job. Love you. Love you for that. Day two here. Good for you, but last month you did 30 days and all of that counts. So it's really like day 32 for you. I don't like, my husband's big and like don't count the days, but I think that, it, I think that the numbers, that accountability really helps. But this is not, you know, those 30 days prior, that counts, like that counts hardcore. Good for you, good for you. I was just talking to somebody this morning about sobriety and I said that like three months is, is kind of a sweet spot too because at three months, that's really when you're like the you you kind of hit a wall a little bit where you've like handled all of your paperwork and that stuff you never wanted to take care of and the house is clean maybe you've moved all of the laundry is done you've reached full condosis Marie condosis everything is clean and detox and then your your new diet and your new routine and all that stuff and now it's like well shit you know now what i do what do i do and it seems like a, and it's right around then that your dreams start coming back and it seems like a good idea to start like drinking again because you're like all right well i've handled all of my shit but it's at that point where you could ask yourself like okay i have this new life where my shit is on lock i have a lot of time i have more money what am i going to do with this life like, what do I want to do with this life where I now have these options available to me that were not available to me before? Like, I don't get stupid at 5 p.m. every day where, like, if you ask me something in the morning and I say no, you can ask me the same thing after 5 and I'll be like, okay. Um, I can do stuff before work, which I really recommend. Have a life outside of work. Wake up as early as you have to to have a life before you go to work so that not all you're doing is work. When you're drinking, all you can do is work. Your whole day is like that eight hours of the day. It's sucks but when you're not drinking you can have a day before work you can have a day after work and when you get to that three month spot you can ask yourself what do I really want to do with this life because I see now that I could do anything that I really wanted to do that I do have the time that I do have the resources if I just keep working at it and that I do have the clarity so like what do I really want to do and I recommend looking up this word ikigai it's a Japanese word I-K-I g-a-i and that's like the easiest way to just look and see like what is your purpose and what are the talents that you have that could make you that that could be really profitable fill out as many as you can in each category ikigai ikigai i think it's called yeah definitely look that up but that and and also something to notice about sobriety is that when you go to bed, you, your ideas continue to build. When you have any alcohol in your life at all, you're hitting the reset button all the time. And so the ideas don't like ferment and get better. They kind of just stay the same. You're like, okay, I want to start a business. And then you get drunk and the next morning you say, I want to start a business. And then you get drunk and the next morning you say, I want to start a business. And then you, you, you start to get low self-esteem. Um, but when you don't drink, these ideas ferment at sleep time, which means they get better. Dormant faculties come to your aid during this period of rest. So you go to bed saying, I wanna start a business. 
and then you sleep on it and then you wake up in the morning and you say, I think I want to start a business where I can travel wherever I want. And then you go to bed that night, you say, I want a business where I can travel and you sleep on it. And then in the morning you say, I could maybe do something. It would be nice to help people as well. So the ideas get better, they ferment overnight and they get better. And that's just not something that you have access to with any alcohol in your system whatsoever. So it's something that's good to know. But let's talk about Madonna. So they're trying to say, you know, how long have we been here getting ready to talk about Madonna? Um, this person says, I do not want to start a business. Yeah, it's definitely not for everybody. Definitely not for everybody. I would not recommend it unless you want to do it because you have to be, it's so much easier to have a boss that's telling you what to do. Go here, do this. Here's your paycheck. But you'll never be really free and you'll never be really wealthy as long as other people are cutting your check. And a lot of people don't care to be like free or, or wealthy. But me in my life, I've always wanted to be my own boss and I've always wanted to be like stinking fucking rich. And so that I was like, it's gonna happen. So Madonna, her PR team is saying that they actually like use Narcan for sepsis. This is not correct. I don't know who leaked that it was a Narcan, but I was like, Madonna and opiates? I've never really watched a Madonna interview in my life. So I went and I watched back a Madonna interview in, in 2021. And she says, and I love this. First of all, Madonna is fucking cool. Like she was so cool, so with it, so sharp. It's, you know, she's been in the industry so long, but she's one tough bitch. And she's funny and she's smart. I don't even know what sign she is. Um, and I'm not gonna pull, I'll get so like lost in the sauce if I pull up her human design chart right now. But she said just straight up on Jimmy Fallon, she's like, I like opiates. I like opiates. And with no shame, with nothing but pride, and I love that for her because if you're gonna do opiates, that should 100% be your attitude with it and not looking for other people to make you feel safe about it. Remember that shame is the biggest trigger for use and Prince was the same way. It's like, I can be this person. I can 100% be this person. I can be this megawatt celebrity. I can look like this at this age. I can make all of my own music. I can make all of my own everything. But in order to do that, I just need this. I just need this one thing. And Stevie Nicks is also a really good example of this because she was like that with Coke. And then Coke turned into, uh, I think, what was it for her? It was, it was clonopin, benzodiazepines in general. She said that trying to come off of benzos was like trying to come climb out from under a mountain and every day someone puts a new rock on top. But Stevie Nicks, it was like Coke, uh, Coke was the upper and then benzos were the downer. And you can only get off of benzo, you can't ben quit benzos cold turkey. You can only get off of benzos with other benzos and like a really long, slow titrate off of it. Ativan, Clonopin, these are benzos. Lorenzo with the benzos. <laughs> um, but... For a long time, she felt like she could only do Stevie Nicks. That she, she's like, I can do Fleetwood Mac. I can do being on stage with Lindsey Buckingham. I can do all of these things. I can be her, I can stay out late. I can be this glamazon, I can do all of it. I just need to have my helpers here. I just need to have my Coke. I just need to have, 
Keith Richards, same thing. I can do this, but everyone needs to just accept that I'm going to need heroin to be able to do this. Robert Plant, same thing. I can do Led Zeppelin, but I can't do it unless I have this. And you guys are just going to have to accept that. And I think that from an addiction standpoint, that that's to, to have pride about it is a really good thing. Because look, if you got to do it, you got to do it. The only other option is going to be to not do it until you take a long break and figure out how, how you could do it without. But some people, that, some people that just works. It's fucking Madonna. You know, she's like 70 years old. She's got shit tons of money. She's always cool no matter what she does. Like, she wants to do opiates, let her fucking do opiates. And this was the same with Prince. You know, they're like, this is same with Michael Jackson. Like, this is just how I do it. The problem is, is that the pain at the deepest part of it doesn't actually go away. And so all of these artists did hit a point at some part, uh, did hit this part at some point in their life where it like got a little bit out of control. And they have all of these like special, re, you know, rehab doctors. Like there was someone that was flying out to meet Prince. I think it was actually who found Prince dead. Um, was like a spit, you know, they like calling, you know, Dr. Larry, like paging Dr. Larry, and someone that flies to you on a private jet and has like a special way of helping you get clean privately. But it's not clean. It's like, let's basically find a way of, of keeping your shit in check. Because when you have access to everything, it can be really hard to keep your shit straight. And like, it can be really hard to come back down to earth and like keep the commitments that you have to, to keep not just to fund the habit, but to fund who you are. You know, you're Mac Miller, you're Madonna, you're Prince. Like, you don't want to go off the rails because maybe these people still want to live. They're like, I like my life. I like being who I am. I need to be able to, like, use this drug as much as I want without it, you know, hurting me, without it ending my life. And so that's obviously what happened to Madonna allegedly you know of course I can't say and of course I wasn't there but you don't use Narcan for a fucking sepsis you don't you, you don't use Narcan for sepsis Narcan naloxone and naltrexone comes from the poppy comes from the same place that the opiate comes from it doesn't work on things that are not opiates so that's so Madonna was found unresponsive in her home due to an OD and they had a Narcan there because obviously this is a frequent enough occurrence. She's proud of being on opiates as she should be. Being ashamed about being on opiates is only going to make you do it more, you know, but if she can say on Jimmy Kimmel in 2021, I like opiates, ding, like TBH, that's fucking goals for me. You know, that's gold not to be on it because I'm proud that it doesn't take anything to put a smile on my face. I'm proud that it doesn't take anything to make me creative or give me energy. Like, this is just how I am. I know who I am. Tom Waits, you know, who wrote all about being and now all of his songs were about blue collar drinking men. He was like, there's such a fear with getting sober that like you're going to be boring or you're going to be uninteresting and that all of your talent is coming from this substance. But actually, like when you it's only by going into that fear that you realize who you actually are and like where your talents actually are. You can be giving a lot of credit to you know everything good that happens in your life you say thank you booze and everything bad that happens in your life you're like well thank you booze 
it's just not it's getting too much credit and it's getting too much blame and these two things just keep it's like the like a perfectly balanced seesaw that keeps you in a state that you don't want to be in because you've got the just the right amount of tension between two forces where the third force is you like this this conflict or this this that this seesaw is happening within something much bigger than either the, the being with the substance or without it it's passing through you you are what it's happening to you you are what it's happening to it's not what's happening it's only happening because it's made magical through you it's what you bring to it it's what it activates in you but it's not responsible for all of your talent and it's not responsible for all of your failures when you get sober you realize that you make plenty of you do plenty of crazy shit sober too like <laughs> don't worry um, but I wonder so you know Madonna's kids have been coming through her hotel room or her she's out of the hospital doing fine these situations are always a little embarrassing you know but I think that if she can say on Jimmy Kimmel that she's cool like like this is just what I do I'm fucking Madonna and this is just what I do. And I really feel like if Britney Spears could be loud and proud, like it's either the per most perfectly placed smear campaign of accusing Britney Spears of being on meth. But like, yo, dude, it is pretty fucking perfectly placed because it had never crossed my mind before that Britney Spears might be a tweaker. It never crossed my mind before. You know, it's just like, she's had a really fucking crazy experience. And I know she likes to like mix stuff up and stuff. But math, I was like, oh, a lot of shit makes sense if it's a meth situation. Um, I've heard she only drinks water from some fountain that she spends a lot of money on. I wouldn't doubt it. And honestly, I try not to think about Britney Spears too much at all because I feel like she's just been picked apart by everybody that I don't want to be one more person doing that. But when they said meth, I was like, damn, because that does kind of look a lot like meth. You know, but who knows, you know, who knows? But meth is a tough one. Meth is a definitely a tough one because it's just not like Coke. It's not, you know, it's, it's different. I'm so surprised I haven't gotten banned from this yet for talking about, <laughs> for talking about this. Uh, but it seems like, you know, everybody that's surrounded by Madonna is like, you know, there's just how she does it some days. And it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out because I think that she's too smart, honestly, to, to go out like Prince, um, go out like Michael Jackson. But the thing is, is that every, all of these people had a lot of pain. They had a lot of really, really deep pain. Michael Jackson was abused all throughout his childhood and through most of his adult life as well. And when you're dealing with parental abuse, those watchful eyes are always over you. You know, you can't get away from it. Even after they're dead, you can't get away from it. And with Madonna, you know, she had all kinds of crazy stuff happen to her when she was younger. She was hard. She was, she had a lot of terrible things happen to her and that stuff hurts. And Prince lost his child, you know, like, these people had a lot of pain and how are you supposed to be an artist and go out there and say you know to, you can't really just go up and cry on stage but if you do do it like Miley Cyrus does because she always really makes art out of it and Miley Cyrus is so grounded um, and she doesn't smoke weed anymore either she grew up in like a big weed home and she she doesn't mess with any of that anymore and I think that that's really it, it takes a lot to do something 
that's different than what your parents do especially if your parents have always been like this is fine you know for her to be like this is this doesn't fucking work for me anymore especially with something that's so you know like promoted right now like weed i think that's really respectable of her so yeah i guess we will i guess we will see what happens with madonna i'm six years meth free and i've always loved britney good for you honey good for you miley cyrus recreates herself every five six years genius madonna recreates herself every album lady gaga re but miley cyrus for me is very much like that is real what never changes i read it was actually such a good book when i was in nashville she was uh her her memoir that she wrote when she was like 16 years old was at the airbnb and i read it cover to cover and one day it was amazing to hear from her at like that age of her life you know what life is like for her at that point i thought it was a really interesting read but i was just telling magic about this the other day because we were, we were teaching on fuckless teaching about what his his unique talent is is you know for him to really sh demonstrate his talent instead of doing one thing and really sticking to it to do many different things and i was like you know lady gaga and madonna as examples these were constantly reinventing and recreating themselves with every album with every but the through line in it for all of them is that they're singers but sometimes they even change their names their entire personas do something totally different into totally different things and that's really where we see their truth that is real which never changes so underneath all of this change what is it about these people that we love so much that you know is so inspiring to us and that's uh that's definitely something and, and Miley has it too but I just feel like it's so maybe because Miley is not so much like a performance artist I mean, she's really straight up about it she's like you know I like to hold the microphone in my hand to just keep reminding people like I'm a musician I'm not an influencer I'm not a pop star I'm a musician I sing in a microphone these are songs this is what I do microphone me musician um, but Lady Gaga and Madonna both do so much like performance art type stuff putting out different books and different short you know it's it's very there's quite a lot of of performance and so I think the reinvention looks pretty dramatic with them um, let's see some other things on here rumors of Selena Gomez tell me rumors of Selena Gomez on and Justin Bieber on that too without a doubt without a doubt have you seen those pictures of them in the open-air drug market like going to the bathroom together and then going to church to like alleviate the shame tweaking at the church tonight me and my justin bieber tonight we're tweaking at the church tonight yeah on the spot hit for you but a hundred percent they're like in the sketchiest flea market of all time it's like yo are you telling me your bouncer couldn't go and get you a little ice couldn't go get you a little ice pretty crazy right Brittany is my bitch yeah it's bigger than the drug industry and will be a harder war to fight because of people like Madonna but why does there need to be this whole concept of war on drugs is just propaganda there is no war on drugs there never has been a war on drugs the United States has been a hundred percent cool with all of the drugs coming into the country they pay for it they make it happen nobody's going to start a revolution if they're fucked up but the market the the cartels infiltrated infiltrated the u.s a long time ago 
they're cool with it they're cool with it it's it's just all of that is to just push agendas like if i were just going to riff and say like okay the only way that they could be like there will be no more drug industry is if they said no more cash they said no more cash if every single dollar that's bought or sold would be traced electronically and we could make sure that no one anywhere was buying anything illegal everybody that's like yes we need a war on drugs would be like great i'm not buying anything illegal let's do it monitor every dollar i spend i got nothing to hide maybe some of these druggies have something to hide and it's like and now the money is controlled totally and all you know that's why i feel like some of these alternate money systems are really important not so that people can you know, buy and sell drugs but so that people can be free to not have their every single move watched um but you know who who am i to talk because i after cps got called on me for smoking weed and for being accused of being a sex worker uh sacred whore life you guys if you haven't gotten the prostitute verbatim what they called me uh if you haven't gotten the prostitute allegations you're not really on the sacred whore path <laughs> it doesn't matter if they're true or not but you guys can watch my pin video on sacred whore to hear more about that i think people who want to get high will find a way nobody stays away from them because of lack of access yeah the people i know that love getting fucked up when they haven't been able it's like they're eating a whole thing of nutmeg they're making hooch they're eating fucking banana pills they're eating morning glories they're doing whatever the fuck they can poppy seeds they're doing whatever the fuck they can to get fucked up you know you want to get high you're gonna get high but now the only thing after cps got called on me i was like i'm just gonna become like teflon don if i'm gonna be if i'm gonna be a public figure and people are always calling the cops and stuff on public public figures doing wellness checks sending cps like all of this stuff it's surprising that people can even do that but they do i was like i just need to be the type of person that nothing can stick to i need to just do nothing illegal ever again and find a way to be cool with that and what i wasn't expecting is for it to bring so much happiness to my life and it really has so so that's the coffee right there what does it mean to be a manifesting generator it means that when you are out of alignment you get frustrated and angry and that the way to get yourself back into alignment is to wait to respond so when you initiate things and you try to make things happen when let's say that you really want to be invited onto a podcast and so you're like what i'm going to do is just kind of like blow this person up and keep blowing them up it's like no you're here to you know you can put yourself on their radar but if they haven't sent you something that you can respond to then don't do it and also what it means to be a manifesting generator is that you have non-stop energy you have consistent access to power you're not here to have a traditional schedule or a bedtime you're you go to sleep when you pass out you don't drift off to sleep don't do your nighttime routine don't put your fucking blue light glasses on like you only go to sleep you don't go to sleep you pass out so and this is something that every other human design type is really jealous of because not everybody has consistent accent access to power just the generators and the manifesting generators we're here to be the workers of the world we're here to diy a lot of stuff we have a lot of energy but all of this energy 
can lead to a lot of frustration and anger for us when we try to make things happen when it's not really that time because we move so fast but the rest of the world doesn't so that's why the strategy the number one thing to know about yourself if you're a generator or a manifesting generator is that your strategy for life is to wait to respond so how i wait to respond with my kids who are both manifesting generators is i don't say I don't make the macaroni and cheese and put it in front of them and say, oh, you want to eat this? And I don't say, hey, do you want a hot dog? Do you want a ham roll? Do you want a cheese stick? Do you want some pineapple? Do you want this? Do you want that? I don't, I don't give them that because I end up just getting really frustrated because I've made them all of this food and they don't eat it. What I am here to do is to wait to respond. So when they respond to their own hunger pangs and they say, oh, shit, I'm hungry. I want ramen I can respond to that then I'm not making 10 things I'm just making ramen and I'm not feeding them something that's not in alignment for them because they've responded to their own wave of hunger but because I have all of this energy I could really and this is just a metaphor for all things in life I could sit there turning out project after project and offering to people do you want to do this Do you want to collaborate on this don't you want to have me here and then I get so frustrated with all of the things not working out and all of that could have been alleviated if I simply waited to respond there you go I create the space and wait to respond exactly so that what it, that's what it means and you can look up what your human design is by going you know go on anywhere and be like my free human design chart I really like the Jenna Zoe ones for a free version I use Maya mechanics because I'm a human design nerd um, but with with my human design with Jenna Zoe she'll tell you your eating type on there and I feel like that's really a great thing uh, that's really a great thing so I want to say thank you guys so much for being here on this episode of The Intuitor. We talked for the majority of it about my experience with opiates and the environment we want to have. But we did get into the scandal at the end. So yeah, my human design. I love listening to you. Thank you guys so much for being here. And I will see you all on the next episode of The Intuitor. If you are not on my newsletter list, please get on my newsletter list because I cannot talk about sex magic online, but I can do it in a private space. And that private space is my newsletter and my app. You find my newsletter at mommyonami.com. Love you all so much. Thank you for being here. And I will talk to you next time. Love you. Bye.